We've been all praying fervently, I know, about this storm that's coming in, and that's brought some anxiety to some of us. Uh, I've been reminded of a lot of things throughout this storm the uh, past couple of weeks. Uh, of course, uh, it's never happened that two hurricanes this size have reached the uh, United States in the same season. And so, of course, I wouldn't remember it in my own lifetime, but it's been very tragic and difficult to face. And I'm reminded of uh, two tornadoes that hit in Birmingham area through my life, one in 98, April the 8th, 98, and another April 27th of 2011, uh, two that hit very close to home and destroyed an area, and I've seen what it can do to uh, people close to you. So I know some of you are nervous about that, and uh, I've been reminded of three things especially. Uh, Number one, I've been reminded of how powerful God is because these storms are incredible. And to look at these storms and think about how much more powerful God is, is just incredible thing. It is, it has blown me away, no pun intended, uh, but it has been amazing for me. And maybe some of you have experienced that as well. Uh, I've also been reminded of how generous you are. Uh, over the past week and a half, I've been reminded of that. That's something that has stuck out to me my entire time at Winchester, of every single time a need arises, you come through, and you reach a little deeper and give to those, especially uh, Christians in different areas that need you. And even though you may not have people that you know in the areas that have been affected, uh, you have been able to reach deep in your pockets and, and give to this need. And I'm very thankful for that. Uh, very thankful that you come through every single time and remind me of not only does the storm remind me how powerful God is, but your willingness to give also reminds me of how powerful God is. And that is a truth that we should all be reminded of, and hopefully it doesn't take a, a powerful storm to do that for us. And so um, I want you to get out your Bibles. We're going to talk for a little bit tonight about that word of the week, truth. I'm going to try to apply it to us a little bit more. We're going to kind of be all over the Bible, and so just have it out and ready to go. So I want to ask you a question. When do you remember first being taught of the importance of telling the truth? Anybody have a specific moment you remember I remember back to when I was a child, uh, probably my first memory of, uh, I don't remember a specific moment where I got in trouble for lying necessarily, but I'm, I'm sure it happened when I was a kid. Uh, but I, I remember a cartoon character, which one might I be thinking of? Anybody? What did you say? Chicken Little. <laughs> The sky is falling. The sky is falling. I do remember that. But I remember Pinocchio. I know y'all remember Pinocchio. Mischievous little man. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we, you may remember the story of Pinocchio. He was made by Geppetto. And he was made out of some kind of magical wood or something. And it brought him to life. He was a little puppet. 
And every time he told a lie, what happened? His nose grew. And I'm so thankful mine did not through the years. (laughs) But every time he told a lie, his nose would grow. And honestly, when I started thinking about when I was taught to tell the truth, uh, I don't remember exactly when it happened. It was just kind of something that my parents just drilled into me, I guess, from the time I was born. So I don't even remember having to go over that time and time again. But I remember Pinocchio. And Pinocchio taught me something that maybe I didn't always realize from the time I was a child. But I learned that no matter when or how well you think you told your lie, that it's hard to, to cover it up. And I also learned that there's always consequences. No matter how hard you try to cover it up, there's a consequence. Whether the people knew that Pinocchio was lying or not, his nose continued to grow. And his nose grew and grew and grew until, you know the story, it was very long. And Pinocchio struggled with that. And unfortunately, whether you struggle with telling the truth or not, Lies and deception fill our lives because as long as we're on this earth, lies and deception will play a part in the direction of our lives, whether it's your lies and deception or someone close to you telling lies and deceiving. And so tonight, I want to look at some people in the Bible who were strongly affected by either themselves being unwilling to tell the truth or someone else being unwilling to tell the truth, and exactly how that affects us today, and how these stories, while very old, are still very true. And just as Joseph talked about, God's Word is truth. And if we look into it, we'll find what is true. And I believe that these stories are here to remind us of some very true things. And so first, let's go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 1 through 4. Now, I do want to do a lot of reading tonight, hopefully not too much for you, but I want to read some of these stories as well as we go to kind of just remind ourselves of them. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Now, if you look over in John chapter 8, verses 42 through 47, we're going to remind ourselves quickly about this serpent. John chapter 8, verses 42 through 47. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, But he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear 
to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar, in these next few words, and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Now, when we go back to Genesis chapter 3, I think it's important for us to remember that Satan is the father of deception. He's the father of lies. And oftentimes in our own lives, we are unwilling to see the truth of the gospel. We're unwilling to see the truth of Christ because maybe just that hard truth that Jesus just said, maybe the devil is reigning in our life. The devil is our father, as he mentioned it. And it's too difficult for us to see what the father of truth has to say when we're too focused on the father of lies and deception. Satan was the father of lies all the way back in the beginning in Genesis chapter 3. Now I want you to flip over to Genesis chapter 37. Another story that is riddled with lies and deception. Genesis chapter 37, verses 12 through 20. Now we're introduced to Joseph early on in this chapter. And we learn about his ability uh, to have dreams. And his brothers heard of his dreams. And what did his father give him? A coat of many colors. And we learn of his ability to have these dreams that foretell the future. And he's told them to his brothers And then we get to verses 12 through 20. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, And he came to Shechem, and a man found him wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, What are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where are they pasturing the flock? And the man said, They have gone away, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. Verse 18, They saw him from afar, and before he came near to him, They conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. So, what do you think caused these brothers to come up with this lie that they were going to tell their father? What, What was the beginning of that? 
Jealousy, right? They're jealous. If you go back and read the dreams and read uh, the, the dreams that he told them of, and then read this portion of Scripture, when they say, here comes this dreamer, and then later on when they say, we will see what will become of his dreams now, basically. Challenging the fact that once we get rid of him, now we'll see who rules. We'll see who the favorite is. And verses 29 and 33 is where we're going to go next. Verses 29 through 33. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes, returned to his brother and said, (coughs) The boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. So here we have the completion of their lie. As they've taken this coat that was no doubt Joseph's, given it to his father after being dipped in blood, and says, this is his coat. Can you confirm that is, this is his coat? And he eventually says, no doubt he has been torn to pieces. Joseph's life was completely turned in a different direction because of someone else's decision to lie. And it was their jealousy and their sadness that they weren't the favorite that caused them to come up with this lie. I want to stop here and remind you again that while we are on earth, we are going to suffer because of either our own or someone else's lies and deception. There are times when you will do everything right to the best of your ability, but the consequences of someone else's lie is still going to turn your life into a different direction. No matter how hard you try to do what is right, we're still going to suffer because of lies and deceit. Now that doesn't mean that you necessarily have done something wrong. Often when things happen to us in life and we don't understand why, we, we want to, to say that maybe we've done something wrong that we don't understand. Well, that's not always the case. Sometimes you have done everything possible right but yet you are going to suffer because of someone else's decision to do the wrong thing. And that is the same thing that's happening with Joseph. He hasn't done anything wrong to deserve this. He's living his life the best of his ability, as is written in Scripture, but yet he still is suffering from someone else's lies. Now luckily, despite the lies of other people, God is still with us. Luckily, there's nothing anyone else can do, no matter how many lies or deceit. They can drag you in the mud as much as they want, and you may suffer here, but God is still with you. No matter what the consequence you're suffering because of someone else, God is still there with you, and He will always still be there with you. 
And that is difficult to remember sometimes when we're suffering through these consequences. But God was certainly with Joseph. And I want you to look at chapter 39, verse 1. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him with the Ishmaelites from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. Now just stop and think, what are the chances of this? What are the chances that Joseph, after being sold to the Ishmaelites, would then be bought by someone like Potiphar, the captain of the guard in Egypt? Now, of course, as Christians who have faith, it's easy for us to say, well, the chances are pretty high because God's with him. And that's what I want you to see. God is in control of this entire situation, even though his brothers kind of dictated the direction of his life, the direction that his life was going to go. So let's keep reading verses 2 and 3. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. So not only was he sold to a man who was in high power, but he became successful at what he was doing. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. God is great. And he allows Joseph to find favor in the sight of Potiphar, this captain of the guard. Then verse 6 comes around and we find out that Joseph is left in charge of all that Potiphar had, all that he was in charge of. Life is a roller coaster. Life is a roller coaster. And I know the people in Houston and the people in Florida see that, that they can experience such a large storm and then only days later experience beautiful weather. Life is a roller coaster. And Joseph, while he was in a less than ideal situation, now... He's in a very ideal situation that many would be jealous of because he is in charge of all that Potiphar had. But sometimes when our life is in a roller coaster and we're in the pits, we have to be reminded that things are going to head back up. That at some point, things are going to turn for us, just like they did for Joseph. Look at the end of verse 6 and verse 7. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. Desire is the beginning of this lie that we all or some of us know what's coming, and desire is the beginning of this lie, just like desire is the beginning of some of our lies or some of the people that we know their lies. Potiphar's wife has let her desire overcome her. And it has taken over her, Satan has, has taken over her heart to the point that she is willing to lie to get what she wants. She's willing to tell a lie and to deceive in order to get the result that she wants. Joseph had great strength to withstand her persuasion, but that didn't keep Satan from working. That didn't keep Satan from, from still getting at Joseph and causing harm in his life. Look at verses 11 through 15. But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house were there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand, 
and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. A lie. Once again, coming into Joseph's life. His life was completely destroyed in some ways because of lies and deceit. And here was her lie. But yet, notice verse 19. Here we go again, verses 19 and 20. The consequences that he has to face because of someone else's lie. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. Imagine the feelings that Joseph must have felt. God, I'm doing things right. I'm trying my best. But yet here I am still. Here I am still in this prison. And imagine how he must have felt when he looks around and notices and is reminded that here he is locked up, stuck in this place, despite the good that he tried to do. How do you feel when you're struck with a difficult circumstance, even though you've done everything to the best of your ability right? You've tried to live your life for God, yet still some kind of negative circumstance has taken over your life. You feel hopeless. You feel useless. Maybe you feel fatigued, like I can't keep doing good when every time I do good, bad things still come. But let's be thankful that this story doesn't stop here. Joseph's life really is a roller coaster. Look at verses 21 through 23. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Remember this, sometimes things happen on this earth that God doesn't necessarily want to happen to you. Sometimes we face consequences for decisions that other people make, and we are in a terrible situation, but just like he was with Joseph, he will be with you. And we can receive comfort from that. Now let's flip over to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. We're going to flip over to this section of Scripture. Another story of two people whose lives are taken over by lies and deceit. Except a little bit different than Joseph's. These two face consequences because they themselves lie and deceive. And... We'll start in verse 1 and verse 2, reading. 
says, but a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. So let's analyze this just, just for a moment. Where did this lie begin? What was it in their heart that caused them to want to lie or deceive? Greed? Greed? Any other things that you see? Pride? Selfishness? Anything else? These two quickly notice how powerful two verses of the Bible can be. We read two verses of their story and immediately we could throw out these different things that they're struggling with. Greed, selfishness, and many more. And that was the beginning of their lie. Their desire to be successful, their pride to to have money, it was the beginning of their deceit and their lie. Look at verses 3 and 4. But Peter said, Ananias, and this is very, very sad, these next couple of words, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to who? To God. You have lied to God. Now, this is a very humbling thing for me to be reminded of. The fact that when I think no one else knows about my lie... When I think no one else knows that I have deceived, when Ananias and Sapphira thought no one else will know that we sold it for more than what we say we sold it for, and that we kept back just a little bit in our pockets, no one will know. But just when we think nobody knows about it, remember, God knows when you lie. God knows when you are being deceptive. He knows when your heart has been taken over by Satan. He knows. And Ananias, surely, just as we don't, he didn't expect that the Holy Spirit of God would know that he lied. Obviously, he didn't even think about it. But yet, God knows every single time. And even if you think you're not going to face a consequence for your deceit, It still will come at some point. So look at verses 5 and 6. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up, carried him out and buried him. God knew of his sin, of his lie, and he had to face the consequence for it. So now let's go down to verses 7 and 9, 7 through 9. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much? And she said, yes, for so much. 
But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. And then verse 10. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. So I want to offer you some encouragement tonight. I want to offer you some encouragement that luckily, if you have been struggling with lying and deceit, you're still here. And you have a chance to make your lies and your deceit right, unlike Ananias and Sapphira who did not have that opportunity. And you have a chance to make things right with the Lord if you have been lying to Him, if you have been deceiving Him, if you have been putting on a good face and acting like a Christian, but yet your heart is not in the right place, you have a chance to make that right with God. But also, you have a chance to encourage people who have faced the consequences of other people's lies and deceit. Just like Joseph did. Joseph had to face consequences for something that he didn't do. He had to face consequences for other people's decisions. And there are probably people in this room right now who are facing consequences, who are facing struggles in their life because of decisions that other people have made. And you, as their brother and their sister, have a chance to encourage them and lift them up. And I would challenge you in the fact that that is your job as their brother or sister to encourage and uplift them. You also have a chance tonight to be baptized. And if you have either of those needs, I pray that you'll come forward tonight as we stand and sing.